pleasure for me tonight to be here with you and I ask a continued interest in your prayers that the Lord would come down to where we are and make himself manifest in a special way. I appreciate the humble prayer by my good friend Elder Kitchens and to see all of you here tonight and I ask a continued interest in your prayers this evening and I assure you that I won't be here till midnight. <laughs> if you think that, we will leave now. But I uh, am very appreciative of the invitation, your good pastor, and I will not uh, belabor you with all of that, but I do ask a continued interest in your prayers tonight. We'll read to you tonight to begin with from the first chapter of the book of St. John. John chapter 1 in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you began to read and study all that God has revealed to us in his word, you will find in all the 66 books of the canon of this scripture that lays before me now will be the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. It testifies to the fact that he was who he said he was, that the prophets spoke in no uncertain terms of his coming at the right time, at the right place, not by accident, but on purpose. And in every degree, as he made that real physical appearance, God's purpose in Christ was being revealed in a curtain being raised. In 1 John chapter 1, and beginning with verse 1, almost this same principle is extended, and notice the terminology that is used here by John as he begins to write in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now both Johns execute this same principle in no uncertain terms, but here 
John tells us this is not what somebody said, somebody said, somebody saw. But he says that we heard him with our ears, we saw him with our eyes, we looked upon him, and our hands actually handled the word of life. Now, for some reason, I can't get my mind wrapped around that thought. It's above my comprehension, and my vocabulary cannot explain it. And I've never heard anybody among our people or anybody else that could explain that in its totality. Because that thought is above us. The character of God is the foundation principle of all of that, and we just don't have the ability to understand all the facets of that subject. But here in the text that I read to you in St. John chapter 1, John says, and the word was made flesh. Now in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, the Bible tells us that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There are three that bear record in heaven. Read on down a little further. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, there it is again, and the Holy Ghost. Now, John, in beginning here, tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if that's true, and I affirm that it is, then there is not a scripture in the Bible that will contradict that truth when it is rightly divided and properly applied. John says, in the beginning was the word. We believe, as the Christian church, we believe in the eternity of Jesus Christ. That he did not become the Son of God when he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, but rather the Son of God was manifest in human form. He never divorced himself from his oneness with the Father when he came to earth, and he never divorced himself from his humanity when he went back to heaven. There's a man in heaven right now. And as a man in heaven right now, he is able to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. That's the teaching of that text. And yet, when we began to hear the items of religion set forth among uh, those everywhere in the world, they have brought a man into the world that tried to do something the best he could, and yet for some reason that he has uh, lost something along the way, and even though he did the best he could, there was nothing sure about what he did. Now, it was sure when he did it, but it was not sure 
to you. Well, I've got a better story for you than that. Amen. What Jesus did was not only sure to him, it was sure to God, and it is a surety to you and a security to you as the family of God chosen in Christ before the world began. Now that's what primitive Baptist believe. But then he comes on down and he makes this point. The Word, capital W-O-R-D. The Word was made flesh. Was made flesh. Go with me to the book of Timothy again. And without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was what? Manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached to the Gentiles. And believed on in the world. And received up into glory. Alright. Can't argue with that can. Alright. Now. As we go a little further. We find out. That John here. Is extending this and saying the word was made flesh. Born in Bethlehem of Judea. We've just gone going through a whole season with that. Somebody told me the other day. said now when you go to church I want you to preach a good Christmas sermon. Well I want to tell you. I preach a Christmas sermon every sermon. Amen. I mean I, 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 I don't change that because it's some holiday. It's a sermon that we can Understand, I trust to some degree, the word was made flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt means tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was a temporary building in the wilderness. They that sought the Lord, the book of Exodus says, they that sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle. It was a temporary building. It was a temporary tent, if you please. For a temporary time. But I want you to understand this in no uncertain terms. It was a figure for the time then present. That's Bible. And a figure must have something real from which it is drawn or else it ceases to be a true figure. Alright. Now. If that's the truth. Then uh, if that's not the truth, then I, I want you to draw me a figure of a $20 bill. And uh, you carry that figure of the $20 bill to the store and see if you can spend it. It's not the real thing. But it's a figure of the real thing. Now, if you try to spend that in DeKalb County, Alabama, I've got to go to the courthouse with you somewhere. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. That the Bible in no uncertain terms tells us that the word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacle, tented among us. That simply means that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come down here to stay. I get nauseated with some of these people that have the idea sometimes that they just took Jesus off and drug him off to a cruel cross like he could have went some other way. Jesus spake these words to those in authority in that day. And he said, uh, unto this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. 
So you understand today that he didn't come down here to stay, but there was an hour that he could not pass. If you read the 8th chapter of the book of John, the ninth chapter of the book of John, they would have took him any time they could have, uh, if they could have. But his hour had not yet come. John 13 and 1, John 17 and 1. Uh, now again, I'll not belabor you with all of that, but what I am saying to you is this, that Christ did not come down here just uh, to stay, but he came and said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. All right? The word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacle among us. And here's a parenthetical expression. Notice this. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go with me to the book of Colossians for just a moment. And notice again, as Paul begins to write to to the Colossian church. And he said in verse 19 of chapter 1, for it pleased the Father. I like terminology like that. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The word fullness, and I, I could give you some double-jointed words about that. It might help you along the way, but, but do you know what the word fullness comes from? It comes from the Roman theater. The word fullness simply means the full production. And you see if that word doesn't fit into this right here. The fullness of the Godhead bodily was the full production of God's character. The full production of all that God was and all that God is. The Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 1 and beginning with verse 1. You notice the terminology again as uh, Paul began to preach here. He says this, For God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, that is at different times and different ways, spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and by whom he made the worlds. Who being in the, now listen now, who being in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Under which of the angels did he ever say, come up and sit down here? Not a one. Not a one. So the Savior that I'm talking about tonight, my friends, is one that must be sinless and one that must be superior. The weakness of the law was shown by the repetition of the sacrifice. It had to be done over and over and over again. The right time, the right man, the right place had to be done over and over and over again. But I'll tell you this, God was so satisfied 
with the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made that he never required another sacrifice. And that sacrifice stands today because there was a problem. God had to be satisfied and man had to be reconciled. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, you know, God's not a man. He can't die. And we're sinners. We can't satisfy. So it took a being who is both God and man, who could both suffer and satisfy, that divine justice might be met and that God's wrath might be appeased. Don't let anybody ever stand up here and tell you that Jesus Christ was half God and half man, because that's not so. He was all God and all man. The fullness of the Godhead bodily stood in the eyes of men. The fullness of the Godhead bodily was the image of an invisible God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we looked at him. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if that's true today, what a wonderful blessing it is to understand that he was sinless, that his sacrifice was sufficient, and that it was superior in every way that we can think of today. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I want to tell you, Jesus was a man. I, let me just tell you this, and I'm not going to charge you for this. Do you know preaching is not all of God? Yeah. Is that shocking? Preaching's not all of God. If it was, it'd come out perfect. Amen. Thank you. I'll be gone in a few minutes. Preaching's not all of God. If it was, it'd come out perfect. It has a human element to it. There was a man, there's a human side, sent from God. There's the divine side. And this man that made this real physical appearance here, even though he was wearied with his journey, even though he slept, even though he hurt, I want to tell you, went to the cross, and as he went to the cross, he went there with one purpose in mind, and that was to deliver us from the wrath to come. And the question is now, did he do that? How far does that go? Well, I talked to a man one time. He said, Brother Rick said, I love you, old Baptist. But said, I, I just don't believe the Lord will save a man against his will. I want to tell you something, brother. Every sinner that's ever been saved was saved against his will. God wills against the will of the sinner and makes him a willing character in the day of his power. That's how God deals with us. And the work of salvation, don't get it in your mind that salvation won't work because it is. But it's the work of God in you. Salvation is a work, but it is God's work in you. And as Jesus came on the scene and as the Savior of sinners appeared before men, here was something so superior to what men had known they couldn't understand or put the pieces of that puzzle together. You know, my wife was in the hospital in Chattanooga, and uh, I was staying up there. Now, listen, I'm not good at sitting up all night. And uh, 
if y'all don't understand that, well, I'll try not to explain it to you. But while she was in the hospital up there, I stayed one night, I think, maybe all night long when she was uh, at one point. But somebody had started putting a puzzle together out there on the table, and wasn't anybody else there but me. Well, the first thing I done, I, I, I looked, Brother Coker, at the picture. You know, on the front of the box, I mean, I got to know what I'm doing. And then somebody had about half put together, and so I went to putting the pieces together, and you know, I got that thing all put together, but one piece. And it wouldn't fit. I twisted and I turned it and I twisted and I turned it. And it just wasn't fit. Well, of course, that wasn't the right piece of the puzzle. But you know what? Finally, I got aggravated and I just took my thumb and I just pushed it down in there. Now, there's a principle about that that you need to understand. Because what I'm telling you, there's at least two pieces of that puzzle that was out of place. And do you know the disciples never could put the pieces of the puzzle together? They couldn't understand, and Jesus told them time after time after time, I'm not going to be with you very long. They couldn't understand it. Just a little while. That's the terminology that you just a little while. And you know, when Jesus was talking about his going away in John chapter 14, he said. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, there's always been a discussion among our people, and I've been preaching nearly 55 years, but about what, what this John 14 was. Well, I'll tell you, I may not know it all, but I, I can tell you how I'm going to apply it. I'm going to apply it and tell you that he's talking about his going away. Talking about his going away. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, as Orthodox Jews, they understood Israel's relationship to God from a historical standpoint. But now he says, you believe in God, but believe also in me. And you come on down through those verses down there, and he came to a man named Philip. And do you know what Philip said to the Lord Jesus? Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. That's all we'll need to know. Just show us the Father. Do you know what he said? He said, have I so long been with you? And you say, show me the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a blessing that is. For them to see it. Now, here was the inner circle. Here was his closest followers. And they couldn't put that puzzle together. And I'll tell you, people can't put that puzzle together today. It's hard for them to harmonize. It's hard for them to read the scripture and harmonize that with the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. It's hard uh, for God's people, and even uh, me and you at times, I understand I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but I want you to understand, uh, we don't have all the answers. Uh, we uh, are uh, those that uh, see through a glass darkly. The curtain has been raised all right, but we don't know it all. 
But I'm telling you today that when John came on the scene and he began to preach, and he began to unveil that great message, listen to what he says. Notice the terminology again that he uses. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. This tells me that the gospel itself is not a proposition to the dead sinner, but it is a proclamation of a victorious Savior. This tells me that what we declare, remember 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Jesus said in John 5, 39, and this is read right, and search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. Well, here John says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. There it is again. I hope tonight that you can see to some degree that John wrote these things and Paul preached these things and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I'll tell you, there's, there's joy in believing the truth. Amen? There's joy in believing and understanding that Christ uh, rose from the dead, that he came on time, that he died on time, that he rose on time, and that today he lives in heaven making intercession for us. That there's a man in heaven with nails uh, pierced hand and a spear pierced side uh, that can hear your prayer. And the only way that God will ever hear it is because of that intercessor. He can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He's the bridge for you. He sympathizes with you. My daddy was a long, tall man, good old Baptist. And we had an old dog named D. I grew up with D. And D wasn't worth the pattern shot it'd take to blow him away. But I liked old D. But D was probably old enough to vote when he died. And may have in my county. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, to tell you, I, that, I, you know, I, 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 can, I can tell you some stories, but be that as it may went to the barn one day and here lay D in the hall of the barn he had died well I got the wheelbarrow and rolled him down across our field and I carried, carried the place right now where I buried and I dug a hole and put old D there and made a mound and Really looked pretty nice. And I turned around and looked, and I saw Daddy standing back here. And I walked up there, and childlike I cried, you know, because D was gone. And I saw a tear come out of Daddy's eye. And I said, Daddy, I said, why are you crying? I said, D didn't mean anything to you. He said, son, I sympathize with you. Listen, folks, the Lord Jesus sympathizes with you because he is a man. 
because of his humanity, because he is the full production of all that God's character uh, could ordain. And the Bible tells me in that great Pentecostal sermon in Acts 2 and 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye by wicked hands have taken and crucified and slain, whom God raised up. And I affirm to you tonight that that same Jesus that walked the dusty hills of Galilee, that same Jesus uh, who talked to his disciples, that same Jesus who spoke to a woman at the well, that same Jesus uh, who fed 5,000, that same Jesus uh, tonight lives uh, in heaven above uh, to uh, hear your prayer, to sympathize with you, and finally return the second time without sin unto salvation to receive and get what he paid for. And I tell you, that's joyful news to me. These things write unto you that your joy may be full. John wrote it, and I believe it. And when the Bible tells us here and understand what he says he says concerning sacrifices now. Now remember, Jesus himself was that sacrifice for sin. But now what does he tell us to do? Let's get down to brass tacks of this in about 10 minutes, all right? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, not just anyway, but I beseech you with the strongest ability I have, he's saying, that I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, up to now, we've been talking about Jesus as a sacrifice, one sacrifice. But now... He refers again to the law. All of those dead sacrifices, they couldn't achieve what God Almighty had ordained for Christ to achieve. But now he talks about us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. How many times has somebody ever heard it? And if you, if you young fellows hadn't heard it, you will. I can't be at church tomorrow, but I'll be there in spirit. Amen. Y'all get it? Listen, I ain't coming over again and preach a bunch of spirits. I'm out of here. <laughs> not me. No, thank you. Mm -mm, not me. The Lord didn't call preachers to preach to spirits. He called them to preach to somebody. And God commands you, since that sacrifice has been made, now he commands you as his people, not the dead sinner. Uh, but he said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Now, this is easy to preach and hard to live. And be not conformed. The word con means formed with. Be not conformed to this world. But be you rather transformed. Move across. Be you not conformed to this world. But be you transformed. Somebody said I'm not conformed to this world. Give me a break. All of us conformed to this world. To some degree. 
You want me to tell you how I know? I'll tell you how I know. When we first got a television, you had to get up and change the channel. Now, you couldn't give me one that didn't have a remote. I have conformed. Yes, sir. Now, I've got a chair that I sit in. And my wife wants me to move it out in the garage. But it sags where I sag. And, uh, and my remote is laying there. And I assure you that if I had to get up and change channels, they could take that television back. You know, it, it just don't work for me. I've conformed to this world. I was going through some clothes the other day, and uh, Brother Josh, and I saw a big wide tie that I used to wear. Now I wouldn't wear it to feed my dog. You know that? <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I'm, I've conformed. Don't tell me you hadn't conformed. I mean, that's our nature. That's truth. You know, you ladies, I'm not knocking dressing nice, but I mean, y'all conform. I mean, I'm not knocking makeup, nice dress. I'm not knocking that. I like it. I, I really do. But, you know, I can carry my wife to Birmingham, come to Birmingham to the shop or something, right? and, you know, uh, she'll lay out this dress and then this dress and then that one, and then we put them all back, and then we come back and we go again. And finally, I'll say, buy some. <laughs> now. You know, if I'm going to go buy a suit, and I used to could buy one, you know, I mean, I say, lay me out a, a blue one, a brown one, a black one, a gray one. I come in there, and they know what to do. I go in there, pick it out, pay them for it, I'm out. Ten minutes, over with. I've conformed to this world. But I want you to understand this, my friend. We serve a God today that does not have to conform. We serve a Christ today that does not have to conform and we belong to a church today that does not and cannot conform to this world. The church is not conforming. The, the Bible tells us be not conformed to this world, but be ye rather transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know what God calls and Paul calls giving in the New Testament? You read the book of Philippians. He begins to talk there and he begins to tell about giving. Now listen, I'm, I'm not preaching for money. God knows if I was, I'd be somewhere else. But the fact of the matter is, God calls what you give a sacrifice. A sacrifice. Read the, the book of Philippians. I'm not going to give you all the scripture I could. I saw people come by this table and shake hands. And there'd be a receptacle up there. And you could tell it took their breath to put a contribution in that plate. Don't tell me that's not so. I can give you names and addresses. Lord, there it goes. I'll never see it no more. It's gone. Yeah. We'd love to hang on to that. We'd love to hang on to it. But I assure you tonight, my friends, 
that as God commanded his son to be a sacrifice for sin, sinless, sufficient, and superior, he commands us today to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you rather transformed by the renewing of your mind and to prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And what a beautiful experience it is to come to the house of God and hear the preaching of the gospel. It does something for me that, that uh, nothing else does. I love saying nobody likes it any better than I do. But I want to tell you there are times when I want to hear the gospel. It touches my soul. It stirs my heart. And in a wonderful way, uh, it uh, reflects and revives my heart and soul uh, to worship him who is worthy of our worship and to remember that the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if that's so, I want you to understand the wondrous beauty of Christ. How wondrous is our thought toward him in our sacrifice. How wondrous is that? Do you believe that tonight? I, I think you do. Do you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us freely, died for us, went back to heaven, one day he's going to come back and get what he paid for. Redeem us from the earth and the sufferings of this present time. You remember this. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, the Bible says it like this. For I reckon. Now that's not southern language. That's Bible. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 17, For our light affliction." which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God eternal in the heavens, a house not made with hands. For in this house we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. You see, my friends, today the surety of what Jesus did gives us the insurance of something far greater than what we can explain today. And the wondrous work of God in us gives us that wonderful opportunity and commandment to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Now, tonight, as 
we began a new year. Y'all pray for me because I, you know, I need help. You know, I'm, I'm going. I need to lose 25 pounds. I need to do a lot better pastoring churches than I do than I have. I need to uh, do more than I've done in a lot of areas. And I make that New Year's resolution, and day after tomorrow, that'll be out the window. Amen? It'll be gone. And uh, my lacking uh, is something that is prevalent in my life. I could give you a list of all of that. But there's one surety that we have, and that is this, that the faithfulness of God is ours to enjoy because even if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. Second Timothy 2 and 13, if you want to read it, that's verbatim. Even if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Thank God for that. God give us grace to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And greater than that, let us declare that and enjoy that great blessing while we're pilgrims and strangers here in the earth. Thank you, and may God bless you. Brother Coke. Come down and we'll all the things like Christian fellowship. We'll do our handshake.